Hey everybody, welcome to Season 2 of Shadow Particles, a His Dark Materials companion podcast. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and uh, it's been about a year since I was last hosting this podcast. It's kind of a limited series because I've got some other podcasting duties that take up my time. Uh, but His Dark Materials, the TV series, is back, so Shadow Particles is back. And just like last time, this season I will be recapping each episode of His Dark Materials with a brand new guest every week. A few of them will be new for this season, but returning from last season. Uh, and my first one here is uh, Liam Campbell, Liam Danger on Twitter. Welcome, Liam. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be the first guest of the season. Oh, yeah. And also uh, a... a one of my His Dark Materials friends, one of my people who I hear <laughs> yes. out about this thing with all the time. Uh, so before we get into it, the house rules for anybody who might be worried about spoilers. Uh, while Liam and I have both read the books, I think multiple times, we'll mm -hmm. get into that. Uh, this is a no-show spoilers uh, zone. We will not be talking about things that happen in the books after the point that we're at in the story in the show. Uh, so newbies are safe here at Shadow Particles. Uh, and new new house rule for this season, uh, we'll, we'll be recapping the U.S. release on HBO. So that's about a week later than the U.K. release. Oh. Kind of strange. Not not into that. So the U.K. gets it a week early, but we're going to be talking about the, the U.S. episodes. So, you know, there, there is like where we're talking about episode one. Episode two is out. It's out there. People have seen it. But oh, wow. we're, we're not going to spoil that for U.S. viewers. I haven't seen it anyway. So Neither I'm like keeping myself. Yeah, yeah. For for when it comes out uh, next week. Uh, so before we talk about episode one, last season, I asked everyone two intro questions to kind of break the ice. We're going to keep doing that, but I've got a third one uh, sandwiched in between the two original uh, <laughs> intro questions. So first is, uh, what is your familiarity with His Dark Materials, Liam? Ooh, uh, I, I read it, I think when I was 15, I think that's older than the usual, like I got into oh, it wow. in middle school. Um, but I, you're, you were older than the characters, which yes. is like rare. I feel like usually people read yeah. it when they're around the age of the characters. Yeah. So I was able to perceive them as childish, which, which maybe mm -hmm. is not something that you get if you're reading this when you're like 11, 12. Uh, so I read the golden compass and I was 15. I picked it up from Barnes and Noble and I had no damn money. So I didn't find the next two books until probably a year later. I found them on a free rack in Berkeley, uh, two different huh. Two different editions of the subtle knife and the amber spyglass and so i've managed to finish them then uh, and i've read them a few times since that's also uh, in some ways similar to mine because uh the the copies that i i have at my parents house that i originally read are three mismatched copies mm -hmm. of uh not not the golden compass i read northern lights the uk oh. edition originally um and then a U.S. edition of The Subtle Knife and then a different, like a hardcover U.K. edition of The Amber Spyglass, like but not matching with the original mm -hmm. paperback U.K. <laughs> edition of Northern Lights. So they're just totally mismatched. Yeah. Yeah. My Amber Spyglass is hardcover, but the rest of them are, are two different, totally different uh, paperback copies. <laughs> right, right, right. That's that's kind of the fun of collecting books, I think. Yes. On some level. Uh, so you obviously watched season one. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of that overall? I thought it was pretty good. My my ultimate review was pretty good. Um, I thought it did a really good job of capturing a lot of the setting and a lot of the characters. There are some really good character choices, some really good acting. I did feel oh, like... Man. Yeah, Ruth Wilson, especially, <laughs> I think. <laughs> are you kidding? I would, I oh would watch God. Ruth Wilson do anything. Um, yeah. 
I did think that there were some like shortcomings or some like weird, there's some funky dialogue. There's some, what I think of as first yeah, draft yeah. dialogue where someone says exactly what the, their deal is as a character. Um, there's a, yeah, it's, it's dialogue that, um, <laughs> reminds me my my very old long time ago podcast co-host uh mitch dyer used to when i was uh living with him for a while mm-hmm. uh he we would like be playing a game or something and and he would see something that was like you know a bad piece of writing and he would just say someone wrote that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's kind of how i felt about some of it but other parts of it were so incredibly well done that i just like and i'm so delighted by the entire story that i have to i i have to love it by default there's nothing i can do mm-hmm. yeah yep and there are some similar boat <laughs> structural changes to the story from the books that are really smart and that i'm really excited for oh okay so we obviously we're spoiling like you know don't listen to this if you didn't watch season one go back and watch yes that. so uh i think you're probably mainly talking about the big one which is bringing uh bringing our world will's world into things right uh, yes earlier yeah yeah that's kind of controversial I, I think i generally liked it it has some other maybe more negative like knock-on effects mm-hmm. for other aspects of the story but overall i think it was a cool addition yeah yeah that's that's my take cool yeah yeah i've, I've talked about my feeling on the show definitely flawed you know mm-hmm. misses a couple beats that are really important but uh i mean on a lot of levels it, it's really really great to look at great you know great performances mm-hmm. and a lot of that stuff kind of saves it and i also think and this is good you know leading into talking about season two that last episode really oh, saved yes the the first season and that's like a good that's good because it's got momentum going into the second season yeah yeah it was absolutely dynamite of course the final most important question everybody's favorite what is your demon this is such a good question and i have um thought about it a lot i think i'm gonna go with a sun bear um, well, I don't even know what a sun bear is. Oh, okay. Well, there are a lot of different species of bear. I think of myself as more or less bear-like in the sense that I, I feel like bears are slow to rile. And I, I feel a great kinship whenever I see a gif on the internet of like a big bear, like in somebody's hot tub or something. It just, it speaks to me in some way. But I feel like mm-hmm. in order to really be a bear, you have to be big or imposing right. in any way. And I'm completely not. A sun bear is the smallest of the bears. So that's what I'm going with. Well, I think that works too, because it's pretty rare that you see like really large demons. Right. Yeah. Right? They, they tend to be kind of practical. Like the largest, largest one I can think of is probably like Stelmaria, who's a, a snow leopard. Who is right? pretty, like there's, there are serious, you have to, you have to buy another seat on the train. <laughs> that's right. On the, on the, uh, the airship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I assume they have extra spaces for the. De- I mean, that's never actually established how like seating works. Yeah, uh, but they must have extra space for demons in in various something like that you know, you, locations. Yeah, you stow your demon. Right. Well, you can't. They can't go too far though. Yes. You gotta, Nearby. Yeah. Right above. Right in the the compartment above <laughs> your head on the plane. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Actually, for for anybody who has forgotten my demon, I actually decided what kind of bird it is. It's a Canada jay. I was previously just saying some kind of small-ish bird. Uh, Interesting, actually. Notable. Canada jay is a, I think, if I understand my birds correctly, uh, a kind of corvid. Yes. Uh, And this episode, this great transition, very proud of myself, is called the City of Magpies, also a corvid. Right. Wow. Well done. I I love uh, good little ornithology uh, stuff happening here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, there will be a little bit more magpie related stuff coming up. Yes. So the summary of episode one of season two 
is uh, Lyra and Pantalaimon, her demon, discover Chiragatsi, which is not how I used to say it when I was reading the book <laughs> as a kid, a uh, deserted city in the other world that she just stepped into at the end of season one. Uh, and it's uh, this city is plagued by specters, these creatures that we get a glimpse of in this episode that drain the life out of adults, but they are harmless and invisible to children. Uh, she meets Will, our kind of deuteragonist introduced in season one, uh, who's on the run from the police and from Lord Boreal in his own world. And meanwhile, back in Lyra's world, the Magisterium uh, is seeking to understand the the window that Azriel uh, made, or I guess not understand in some cases. There's some conflict <laughs> there. Uh, and we, we see Mrs. Coulter uh, torturing a captive witch to get answers on it. Also in Lyra's world, the witch clans are meeting. Lee Scoresby is there with them. Uh, and they're discussing their next move. And we get introduced to a new witch queen, Ruta Scotty, uh, who sets off alone to save the captive witch. I think I covered most of that. As, like most of these episodes, there's kind of a lot of stuff mm -hmm. moving and going on. So uh, overall thoughts on this episode, Liam, you want to start? Sure. Um, this is a good episode. This is a really strong start. There's a bunch of, I guess I can talk about the things that I really loved in it and the things that I think like are still a little funky. Um, mm -hmm. I, Chitagas looks incredible is really, oh, really cool. Um, precisely how I imagined it, except there's architectural weirdness that I really enjoy. There's the, uh, repeating motif of those weird double-sided, uh, climbing staircases in stone. Yeah. There's, oh, that's such a, it's, it's, so it's cool. great. Yeah. There's the, uh, the tower is like kind of art deco in a way, which I did not imagine, mm -hmm. but I really, really love. Um, the set dressing on that whole thing is really cool, and I could and I could talk about um, Chitigatsu forever. That was really somebody cool. somebody in our group watch was like, "Where did they film this?" And I I, I was not like in the in the chat mm -hmm. to respond immediately, but they filmed it in like a parking lot. Oh I my think, god! In, uh, in oh, where, where, I forget where they they film it, like Cardiff or something. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just like a I don't know my UK geography. Apologies mm -hmm. to UK listeners. Uh, but yeah, it's just like somewhere in the UK, they just, they built it from scratch. Uh, and it, it's amazing. It looks, it, it's like the star of the show here. It looks yeah. like a real place. It looks like they filmed on location in a, an Italian city or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing. A lot of the BBC stuff is done in Cardiff because I think it's the cheapest, uh, cheapest real estate with a nearby airport that you can kind mm. of get to in the UK proper. Um, so Chichigats is completely great. Uh, Lyra and Will's chemistry works, uh, which is such uh, a relief, such an amazing yeah, relief for this show. If that didn't work, we'd be done for. <laughs> yeah, we'd be so screwed, but it completely works and it deepens both of their characters, which is everything I could possibly hope for. So that's great. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy the the moves from the relatively domestic stuff happening in Chitigats, um, back to Mrs. Coulter in the, in the magisterium, uh, just like everybody is chewing the scenery and out eviling one another. That was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, again, I could watch Ruth Wilson do absolutely anything and her, her torture scene and the, the witches coming in to, or, or Ruta Scotty coming in to save Katya was killer. I will say the thing that didn't super duper work for me was the witches meeting and I me too. Yep. still don't believe Lee Scoresby. I believe mm -hmm. Hester, but I don't believe Lee Scoresby quite yet. I'm willing to I'm willing to wait for it, but we'll see. Yeah, that's uh, I, I have a lot of similar thoughts there. I, I'll, I'll pick up on the, the Lee bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I rewatched a few season one episodes 
and like it really comes and goes how much I'm into uh, Lin Manuel Miranda as Lee. Mm-hmm. I think like the best one of the best episodes of season one is is episode four where yeah. Lee gets introduced and you meet Yorick. And I, I think he does pretty well in that episode. It, it kind of works. He has like he's got good chemistry against uh, Daphne Keene mm-hmm. as Lyra. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of points where his accent kind of feels weird and he he just compared to, you know, someone like Ruth Wilson, who really inhabits the character or even, you know, um, Daphne Keene and uh, Amir Wilson mm-hmm. as, as Lyra and Will, like where they really like I believe them as those characters. Uh, Miranda always feels like he's acting like you, you can see him <laughs> acting. <laughs> right. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I know a lot of these actors from other things, but I see Lin-Manuel Miranda with a mustache. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's I've seen reviews that describe it as cosplay and that does feel kind of accurate. <laughs> I'm really hoping he, he gets better because there's some great Lee stuff coming up in this story. So Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I have faith. I'm going to I'm going to put the energy out into the world. Um Right. What are what are your thoughts? I do think the well the thing with the witches is yeah, they they do feel like a weak link here where they're kind of kind of flat and kind of melodramatic, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's hard to say like where that comes from. I, I do think there's a bit of trying to Game of Thrones eyes the witches, sure. uh, and they're not really like that in the books. In the books, they're not like she's um, not portrayed as as like stereotypically cool, I guess, as they're trying to do right. in this. Right? They're they're much more kind of ephemeral. Mm-hmm. They're sort of Valkyries in this. They seem very like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. confrontational. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of get it because they they've been building up the kind of the war and everything. Right. Uh, and some of the way that Pullman describes the witches is just not probably going to work for the gravity sure. that they're looking for on screen. Like it works a little better in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're they're not my favorite part. Uh, I know some people complain about the magisterium being kind of like corny and one note, but I I think it I think it works. I agree. Like I, I I like watching them. They're fun villains, and I like what we see in this episode, which is great. Is like there's a there's inner conflict, right? Which mm-hmm. is like essential to Pullman's depiction of the magisterium that they're not actually just a single force. They are a bunch of people competing and politicking to to make their way to the top. Yeah, there's a lot of obvious faction stuff and it's fun to watch mm-hmm. mrs coulter play them off of each other yeah yeah there's a great scene with her and father mcphail at the end where they're <laughs> she's uh offering to kill the cardinal and install mcphail as the uh the new leader it's like this show doesn't really establish like the hierarchy mm-hmm. but also the book doesn't do that either right like you don't actually know who's in charge you just know who's in charge of like this operation in this moment yeah who's on top in this group Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I like their dynamic and uh, it, it they're kind of fleshing that out compared to what's in the book. And I, I think it works like where they are these kind of uneasy allies. They, they, they don't like each other. Right. They both kind of want to destroy the other one, but they're temporarily helping each other. Yeah, I I, I, I rewatched that um, first scene of them with uh, the Cardinal and, and Fra Pavel and everyone in that room. And I, I really enjoyed watching um mrs coulter lie on her feet that there's yeah. this great big beat before she says i never saw israel i never got there mm-hmm. and then she doubles down she's like in my failure to reach him which i did not do for sure yeah that's true <laughs> uh yes it's i mean she really she really sells that character in so many ways mm-hmm. and it's great like it's really so cool that we get to see more of her because she is kind of like she and Azriel both in the books are 
kind of far off and you only really get to see kind of what they're feeling later right. in the story. Yeah. But here we get to really see like her at work doing her thing and it builds her up. I think, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't exactly say in a better way. Cause I think it's just a little, it's, it's a different focus, right? The books are mm-hmm. more focused on like Lyra and Will, uh, as like the center of everything. Uh, but I think it, it gives a lot more depth, which is uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Back to Lyra and Will. Um, okay. <laughs> incredible, just incredible like chemistry. Mm-hmm. They they included a lot of great scenes from the book uh that I think did work. Like they don't to me, they didn't feel like they were just there as like fan service. They actually do all serve to to build up the relationship between these characters. And you were kind of saying that it like deepens both of their characters, mm-hmm. which I completely agree with. Like they Lyra feels and I think they wrote her to be a bit more like bratty and stuff here, which is kind of like what most people like about her in the books. But it also like works as a contrast against Will, who's very cautious and he's like very kind. Right. And and conscientious. Yeah. And Lyra is especially now she's just been betrayed and all this stuff. And she's just like, whatever. I'm just like doing whatever, you know, like kind of all over the place not really uh, courteous or thinking about other people's feelings or anything. Yeah. What So what I really thought deepened those characters in this episode, it works as an establishing, establishing episode for both those characters, is that even though they have these foil roles to play off of one another, there's specifically a scene for each of them that establishes them as not one note. Like as bratty as Lyra mm-hmm. is when they encounter the guy who has been uh, attacked by the specters, She's kind to him. She she puts a hand mm-hmm. on his shoulder. She leads him away. She says it's going to be okay. And Will as like, you know, he's cleaning up fruit off the street. Like he's Love he that. cleans oh, it's everything. Great. Um he's he's silently one of my favorite touches is him silently cleaning things up. Like yes. not even things that he made messy or anything, right? It's just like he finds fallen fruit on the street and he's just probably without even thinking about it, just putting the fruit back in the box. Yes. Yes. It breaks my heart. And he's so, he's, he so is that character, but he's also the character who will jump into the crowd, rescue the cat and then, Mm -hmm. and then threaten to lay out anybody who gets between him and the cat. Like he Mm -hmm. is, he's so combative when it is right to be. Yeah. That scene I saw somebody point out was also a good way of establishing their different uh, approaches. Or, or no, it wasn't that scene. It's when they're chasing after the kids when uh-huh. they first see them. Uh, the, these kids that they meet in Chittagatsi who are like kind of running. They're like got the run of the town now because the adults are all gone. Uh, and Lyra just runs straight toward them. And Will kind of pauses, looks down an alley and then kind of takes this more, mm-hmm. you know, more thoughtful approach where he's like, okay, I'm going to gonna head them off, you know, at this other location. And like, it's a lot of little things like that, that this episode does that I feel like is a lot better than some of the writing we saw in the first season. Like there's more to kind of dig into, you know, and, and like more characterization to establish. Yes. It's definitely the cure for the first draft writing of, of somebody saying exactly what they're about, but they, they right. show you really clearly what the character is about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, just some great fan favorite scenes in here. We got the omelets Mm -hmm. and not just like as a one off thing, but really, you know, as a (laughs) again, like a way of showing not telling about their characters. Yeah. Right. That like Lyra is skeptical of it. She's never heard of it. Uh, I love that she asks him if he is a kitchen boy. Mm -hmm. Right. Like kind of showing how much she is a for all of her wildness is was actually a kind of spoiled rich girl. Mm hmm. 
Uh, and then her trying to make an omelet, which is uh, very funny. And that's the other thing. It's funny, finally. Like, these right. two have actual comedy as they're, like, you know, these two fishes out of water trying to figure each other out. Yeah. I I just about jumped out of my pants when she uh, ground the egg into the floor <laughs> with her shoe. Just like, oh, I can't. Awful child. Yep, yep. Which is just I think right. The, the the other thing that really makes this all work is Pan is finally more of a full character as he really has to be for yes. this story to work. And he is a great, again, like a, a great way of establishing Lyra's personality and inner mm-hmm. conflict uh, in relation to Will. So like one of the, the best touches in this episode is that Pan is spending the whole episode trying to get Lyra to kind of open up and trust again. He's like, Come, mm-hmm. you know, you, let's use the alethiometer. She's like, no, I don't trust it. It led me to, to Asriel. He's like, you know, sees Will and Lyra is like scared of him because he doesn't have a demon and, and just thinks he's weird and kind of doesn't want anything to do with him. And Pan is the one who keeps being like, we should team up with him. We sh- he seems nice. He could be helpful. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's great because it's like uh, you get these three characters where you, like the human and, and their demon are like not in agreement about the, the third character in the situation. Right. And so you actually get this conflict of like Lyra and Pan going back and forth about Will. Yeah. I loved that when Will meets up with Lyra again after she runs off that Pan is the one who turns around and says, hi, Will. Yes, right. And Pan Pan and Will have a conversation and Lyra is kind of avoiding the conversation. Like, yeah. th- th- this is what... Like, this is what I was looking forward to when it's like, oh, a TV version of His Dark Materials is you want to see someone play in TV with the way that you stage like human and demon and you have conversations between them because you can do a lot of really interesting stuff as long as you don't just try to shoot it like it's Game of Thrones and right. pretend the demons aren't there. Yeah, I, I I feel like it. the show is kind of coming into its own with the stuff it has to work with. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good demon stuff here that, you know, hopefully points to more of that for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Probably helps that there are way fewer demons to animate. Yeah. Like Pan, you know, there's Pan, Hester, the Golden Monkey. There's, you know, a couple major characters, uh, but not, you know, you don't have to they don't have to like animate them for every crowd shot now because now we're in multiple worlds. Yeah. That is nice. Uh, but there's also the witches demons have a great conversation. I, I thought I was really surprised compared to season one. That's something we never would have seen. Yeah. Where Serafina and Bruta Scotty are they're not even actually arguing. This is another kind of thing like what happened with Pan. Mm-hmm. It like Ruta Scotty is kind of, you know, more belligerent about fighting the Magisterium, but they don't have an argument. Ruta just kind of like, you know, they briefly have like a slight disagreement. And then Ruta flies off. But they, the argument happens between their demons, who are uh, Kaiza, who's a Gur Falcon, Jir Falcon. Again, not an ornithologist <laughs> over here. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ruta's demon, whose name I forget, who is a uh, an eagle, right? And like they are having a more heated argument in the background while their humans are talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> witches. I, I, I laughed at the first watch of that because it was just so <laughs> like, even knowing what the show is and understanding the, like the, the concepts at hand, like cutting away to two birds, having an argument. It's true. <laughs> was, was hilarious. But like given the, on, on second watch, uh, the dynamic is kind of cool that the, the demons are in the, in the, um, in the background saying the subtext of the conversation that's happening right, in the right. foreground. And yeah, for, I mean, for people who haven't read the books, like this is something that's established pretty frequently in the books is that humans will talk and then their demons will talk at the same time. And they'll kind of be having parallel conversations. Also, a very fun detail is that they 
it's difficult for them to talk about different things at the same time because mm-hmm. they have to sort of split their attention and like the human and the demon's focus is kind of tied together so they can't like think about two opposite things at the same time. Which I also cannot do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so very happy about the demons. That's that's like a great, great aspect here that I'm, I'm hoping we see more of. Yeah. I, I will say on like the negative side, like there, yeah, there's still a few lines that feel a little corny. The witches especially feel melodramatic mm-hmm. and, and kind of corny. The other thing that I, I think, you know, I mean, it's hard as book readers to really like get beyond just, oh my God, Will and Lyra, finally, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. But uh, I do think this, the Chittagatze scenes are a little slow in this episode because yeah. there's not really much danger yet. Like we learn about the specters and then we immediately learn that, oh, you're, you're kids, so you can't be attacked by them. Right. It's very establishing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and maybe, maybe we're, willing to, we're willing to deal with that because we understand like, oh, this is a setting that like takes some establishment and this is a relationship that takes some establishment. Also, we know kind of where these characters are going. Sure. And so seeing, seeing them just being together is kind of enough, I think, for, a, for book readers yes. because we kind of know where it's going. But for other people, I can understand people being a little impatient, like, okay, then what? Then what do they do? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're waiting a week to get the next episode. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I do want to point out uh, two little Easter eggs. Uh, one of them is, I, I don't think it's a spoiler. It's, I'm just going to say a name. Okay. Uh, if you look at, and this is all in the credits. So, I mean, this is not that, that, uh, that weird. Uh, in the credits, there is, there is a credit for some narration done by a character named Zephania, who uh, I was very surprised to see in there. That's the, the opening narration from the woman's voice talking about Lyra and kind of like yeah. what's going on. The witches are preparing for battle. I, I saw this in the credits. I actually had to be reminded who the hell Zephania is because it's been so long since I read the latter two books. But uh, yeah, I it looks like That's we're going to get exciting. more later book uh, folded in earlier. Maybe. I mean, it, it could just be a kind of tease for, for something in season three, but, but it's possible, possible that, uh, that we get Zephania. I mean, spoilers, there is a character named Zephania. Yes. Right? I mean, <laughs> there's no more details beyond that. Yes. Uh, and then the other one, which I did not realize, I saw someone on Twitter, I think, point this out, is Pan turns into a bird a bunch of times during, during this episode, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh, I've seen that kind of bird before. What kind of bird is that? And I had forgotten. What is it, of course? A magpie. Yeah. The the thing that was weird about it, though, is they don't actually say City of Magpies right. in this episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, unless you understand Italian and you know that Cittagatze would mean right. City of Magpies. But I, I think I think that there's some explanation of that in the story later on, right? Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm sure they'll probably say it like next episode or something. Someone mm-hmm. will will mention it. Um, yeah, we, we won't tell you what it is now because while I think that maybe was explained at this point in the in the book, uh, it it probably is a spoiler to mention now. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Retain the mystery. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so I think we, we kind of covered most of it here. I did really enjoy this, and this feels like what would have been a highlight of season one, mm-hmm. but it's just the first episode of season two. Much better than the season one premiere, which... Oh, goodness, yes. Upon rewatching, has uh, quite a lot of issues. It, it's it's clunky. Clunky yet charming, but it feels now right. like the, the charm is carrying through even while it's getting more sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, everyone's special is the line I just keep thinking about. <laughs> that Lord, that's a real line. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot more energy in this. Like the, I think a lot has been said in reviews and things about how the first two episodes of season one were directed by what's his name, Tom Hooper, oh. who I think is like not necessarily the most energetic director. I guess he directed Cats, but yeah, and that's energetic, but not in a good way. No. Uh, yeah. And I just think like it really did start being like it started off uh, not having some of the the sense of adventure that the that this story deserves yeah. in, in season one. And it eventually got there, but, you know, and got to the, the scope, which is like the big thing, right? That's mm-hmm. what obviously the writers were really, or the writer, it's only one writer, Jack Thorne, what he was like excited to get to, which is like this much larger scope that the story takes on after the Golden Compass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here, I think we're really seeing it now. Now there's multiple worlds. Now there's these specters. Now kind of all the characters have to respond to the existence of multiple worlds. And it, it really just feels like everything is expanded in a great way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am really excited for this season. I, I I think I was scared in the first season that they were never going to pick up their footing really and get to a place mm-hmm. where they were able to convey the momentum of, of what's going on in the story. But now I feel like there's enough establishment that it's pretty quick to do. Here's a new concept. You mm-hmm. already know what is going on and you have enough to go on. The other thing, speaking of writers that I am very happy about is there are now more writers on the show. It's not just Jack Thorne. So what you mentioned about kind of feeling like a draft script, yeah. I think it probably helps to have a writer's room of yeah, different people. I, I, uh, didn't... Turn, I believe all four of them are also women. So I just got to say that might help a little bit to not have like one white guy writing everything. That is entirely possible. I didn't realize that it was one person writing that first season. That's kind of... Kind of amazing, but uh, foolhardy. Yeah, I think that he's, I've read that, I don't know much about him outside of this show, but I've read he's known for that, like Mm. just being a very prolific writer, not always a very good writer, I think. Mm -hmm. I think the the only big thing I know him from, I think he's done a lot of like BBC stuff, is he did that Harry Potter play (laughs) that people didn't like, (laughs) uh, The Cursed Child. Yeah. I see. Okay, that's not a glowing recommendation. I, I haven't read or seen it, so I mean, I I don't have an opinion on it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I I have read it, and it <laughs> it's it's fan fiction. Uh, it's not well, even good fan fiction. So it's accurate to the work of the original author. Kaboom! Uh, bam, got him. Yep. Now I'm gonna lose all of our. I don't know if we turf have, listeners. Uh, turf listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or people who are still Harry Potter fans. Uh, that's okay. That's all right. For what it's worth, I'm a Ravenclaw. Okay, so you got a bear demon, but you're a Ravenclaw. I'm also a Ravenclaw, uh, as it were. So, yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Very excited for what's coming up soon, especially knowing what we're in for uh, in the book. Uh, If you'd like more uh, more Shadow Particles, you want to listen to previous episodes, shadowparticles.club is my slightly goofy URL that I got for this podcast. Go check out stuff on there. Uh, send me an email at shadowparticlespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I will read them on the show. I don't, this is, I think we don't have a ton of listeners here, but uh, <laughs> so I haven't gotten that many emails. But if someone sends an email, I will, I'll totally read it, answer some questions. And you can subscribe to Shadow Particles on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, leave, leave a rating and review to help more people find the show. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at VampTVO, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. Liam, where can people read slash listen slash check out stuff that you're doing? Oh, sure. I'm on Twitter at uh, at Liam Danger, which is my middle name. It's not. 
I I do I co-run a podcast about drinking uh, and drinking history and science called Thought and a Chaser, and I produce a podcast called The One Who Got Away with Oliver Blank. All right, this has been fun. Uh, I will see you all next week for episode two, which I believe is called The Cave. Very excited mm -hmm. for what is coming in that episode based on the title. Yeah. <laughs>